0: This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfindley.org. My wife and I bought our first house in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We've been living in an apartment. We already had a dog, a little corgi named Cricket. And when we moved into our house, we decided that it would be important for us to build a fence in the backyard. We wanted to uh, have the opportunity to uh, let the dog out, and, and we viewed that, that fence as a reassurance of safety. One, we wanted to make sure that our dog wouldn't get out, that when it was time for business, we could let her out on her own, that we could go out and play with her in that, in that enclosed backyard, know that she wouldn't get out and get in the street and get hit, or wander out into the nearby woods and encounter animals. And we also wanted to be sure that, like, especially in the winter months when it got really cold and snowy, that we could open the door and let her go out on her own and not have to be standing there the whole time. It was a great plan. The other piece of safety with a fence around a backyard is that we didn't want to let things in that shouldn't have been there. So we were specific about making sure predatory animals didn't get in the yard or the neighbor's dog coming into our yard. When we moved in, there wasn't a fence in the backyard, and our next-door neighbors had a St. Bernard. A massive, slow-moving, very gentle dog. And the problem with St. Bernard's is that they are large and proportional. So everything about a St. Bernard is large, including the business that they do. And so this St. Bernard had no idea that there were boundaries between our yards, and he would wander over into our yard, and we had huge messes to clean up. And so we were excited about the fact that now we would have just our little dog and not have to deal with the size of our neighbor's dog. And so we began building the fence. I was surprised how many decisions involved in making a fence. Uh, the, the 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 kind of fence that you want to have, wood or plastic or metal, the uh, look of that fence, the color of the fence, the kind of posts you put in, the gates you put in, the hardware. for. There's so many things to decide. If you want the panels to be level or if you want to move the pickets to follow the contour of the land, so many decisions to make. So we ended up with a wooden fence that we began building and started out digging post holes for the post that would support the fence. And I got through the first few inches of topsoil and realized I was in for a difficult time. There was hard packed clay that our house was sitting on. And it, it was difficult digging. I poured water into the holes, trying to soften up the earth so I could dig it better. It was it was going to be a tremendous amount of difficult labor. So my father-in-law came for a visit, put a post hole digger, a big motorized auger, in the back of his truck and came up with it and said, hey, I, we'll dig out the holes with this. And so it had handles on both sides, so we stood opposite each other. He fired up the engine, we put it into the ground, got through that first few inches of topsoil, and the auger bit into that hard clay and threw us to the side, it was really difficult. So we would have to do this careful dance of making sure the post hole digger was perpendicular to the ground and also pushing to get that bit down into the clay. And we had a lot of difficulty. And sure enough, every time things got out of alignment, it was my fault. So (laughs) I'm working with my father-in-law. So I had to make some adjustments and, and learn how to work with him and dig the holes. And we worked and worked and worked and made our way around the yard whole after hole, after hole. Got all those. dug. it took us so long that he ended up going, going on home, and I took care of some of the other things on my own, put cement in the holes, measured out the posts, and made them even and level and worked our way around, got everything done, buttoned up. And the church I was working at at the time, I, I was talking about building the fence in one of my sermons, and one of the guys in the congregation said, hey, I've got a, I've got a backhoe with a, an auger bit on it. I could have driven that into your yard and, and knocked out all those holes in about an hour. So thanks. I'll I'll remember that the next time I have a giant project that I'm trying to do on my own. It was was very helpful. Thank you for that. Uh, But the idea of that fence, for us, for our dog, is that it represented the safety, the security. It represented the the establishment of our home there, of completing that, that feeling of settling in. Now, we're starting a sermon series today in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah's story is about restoring the wall around Jerusalem. Now that's a much bigger project than a fence around my backyard, but the idea for the people of Israel in regard to the city of Jerusalem was was much greater than that. They not only wanted that wall for protection and safety, they also viewed the the city of Jerusalem as the their capital and the place where they connected with God. That was where they built the temple where they viewed the physical representation of God's presence among them as a people. They would go there to connect with God. And so for them, this city represented not only the the pride of their nation, but also the reputation of their God and their relationship with him. And it was a very significant thing for them to want to restore this wall. Now, Nehemiah's story is a piece of a much larger story through the Old Testament of God working through the Israelites as his people, expressing his love for them, them learning to live in relationship with him, be faithful to him, and obey him as they saw how God was working in the world around them eventually to bring about salvation through his Messiah. We have this long story as each piece is meaningful to us in different ways. Nehemiah's story uh, is, is significant and takes place, historically speaking, uh, towards the end of the exile of people of Israel as they were turning to Israel. Now, that that all takes place if, as you complete the book of Kings and Chronicles, and the the height of the glory of the people of Israel is coming to an end. They've begun to be unfaithful, and God has said, if you're unfaithful to me, then I'll I'll allow other nations to conquer you and capture you and take you into captivity. Uh, Jeremiah then concludes that with Jeremiah prophesying to the people of Israel, the Babylonians are going to come and conquer Jerusalem. It's going to be bad. and never said, no, we don't believe you. And then that actually took place. The book of Daniel then records the experiences of the Israelites who had been taken captive, deported to other countries who were living in different cities of those foreign countries, and the experiences they had there. The book of Esther talks about a particular group of the Jewish people who were in Susa uh, interacting there, the decree of the king Xerxes that the Israelites would be destroyed, and then Esther's work on their behalf to have the king alter his plan and make a second decree that then the Israelites could defend themselves. And she protected the people of Israel who were living there. And then we get into the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra took some Israelites back into Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And now we come to the book of Nehemiah, who is taking some Israelites back to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem surrounding the temple. And so through our story in the series that we're going to follow. We're going to be learning from Nehemiah and his experience of faithfulness to God, stepping out and doing this massive project for the sake of the Lord and for the sake of his people. And today, we're going to begin with the first chapter of Nehemiah. We're not going to cover necessarily a chapter a week. We're going to read through a great portion of the story, the book of Nehemiah. Uh, but uh, as we read today, we're going to be focusing on two themes in particular. First is uh, the devastating news of Nehemiah recognizing the status of Jerusalem and its walls and its people and dealing with the grief that, that came over him in, in hearing that devastating news. We're going to learn from his experience and how we manage that kind of grief. And second, we're going to be uh, thinking in terms of vision for the future. And as Nehemiah began to step forward into the process of recognizing his calling to rebuild this wall and step forward in accomplishing that, uh, what that means for us when we think about who we are, where we are and what it is God is calling us to step forward into, how we need to seek God's plan and purpose for our lives, how we need to allow him to align our perspective with his purpose as we submit to his will. So let's begin reading in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. If you have a Bible and you want to open that up and read along, that's great. I would encourage you to do so. The words will be here on the screen if you want to read along on the screen. If you have a phone or tablet and you want to use the Version app, you can search under events for Parkview Finley and find scripture and sermon notes there as well. Let's begin reading. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, historically speaking, uh, we're in the month of Kislev in the Jewish calendar, which doesn't align with our month specifically. Uh, The month of Kislev would be from the middle of November to the middle of December. And so even in this region, uh, they're currently in the city of Susa, the winter capital of the kingdom of Persia which is uh, just east of the land of Israel. Uh, And it, it is still considered winter for them there. And because it's the winter capital, the king is living there in Susa as well. And in this region, winter feels a lot like winter in Florida. Temperatures 60, 70 degrees. They have heavy rainfall, overcast days, and very occasionally a little bit of snow. And when it does snow, people just lose their minds because it's so abnormal. They are terrified that the roads will be slick, that things will be crazy, that, that they stay inside and huddle up and make sure that the plants don't freeze and die. That's Florida. My My in-laws live in Florida, and it is fun for me to see them respond to a little bit of snowfall. The The land here, the Mesopotamian region where Susa is, uh, the kingdom of Persia, imagine the response to snow would be very much the same, just uh, a, an incredible sight for them to see, but they're used to those 60 to 70 degree days in the wintertime, so anybody who's traveling from colder climates to visit there would get the same kind of looks that we do when we visit Florida in the winter, Is the, the locals are wearing their hooded sweatshirts and jeans and wondering why we're in shorts and t-shirts. It's a very distinct difference in that kind of climate. The king who is there is Artaxerxes. And as Nehemiah says, it's the month of Kislev in the 20th year. They mark the passing of time according to the reign of the current king. And so this is the 20th year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, who is the successor of King Xerxes from the story of Esther. Not his descendant, but his successor to the throne. And we notice that this story takes place historically about 150 years after Babylon conquered Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar took the Israelites It's been a great deal of time that has passed, and Jerusalem has fallen into ruin. Now, in Jerusalem, we have uh, groups of Israelites. There are a group of Israelites who weren't taken into captivity, who, because they were in the surrounding region or in hiding, were not taken captive into exile 150 years ago with the rest of the people of Jerusalem. And those are called the remnant. There are also Israelites who have been allowed to travel from captivity back to Jerusalem, like Ezra and his caravan that went to restore the temple. Nehemiah is in Susa, and he encounters a group of Israelites who have come to Susa from Jerusalem. Now, these men are either from the remnant, or they're from one of those caravans that has gone back to rebuild the temple. Most likely, it's one of those caravans who has returned to Susa from Jerusalem, and among them, Nehemiah recognized his brother, Hanani. He called him and some of the men around him and asked them, what's happening in Jerusalem? How are the people who are still there? What, what does the city look like? And the news, the report they gave him was not good. The people remaining in Jerusalem were in trouble. They were disgraced. The walls had been torn down. The gates burned with fire. The city that represented the splendor of Israel, their capital, the place where God's temple dwelt, was lying in ruins. And the reputation among the people around them was faltering because they failed to be faithful to God. And they failed to maintain his presence there through the upkeep of his temple and the upkeep of his city. Nehemiah was overcome with emotion. He sat down and he wept. And yet he wasn't overwhelmed. He was experiencing those emotions and moving through them. He took time to mourn and fast and pray. He took a proactive stance in dealing with the grief that he experienced from the news that he received. He turned to the Lord. We find proper perspective and guidance when we turn to the Lord, especially in terms of facing difficulty, of facing devastating news, of facing news that brings us to a place of grief. We find perspective. We find guidance when we turn to the Lord. And we often find ourselves in situations like this. We receive news of some kind that is personally devastating. News that weighs us down, that overwhelms us, leaves us feeling powerless and defeated. And when we find ourselves in those places, it's important for us to turn to God, to find perspective and guidance. Nehemiah's response provides us with that example of how we should handle ourselves when faced with this kind of significant difficulty. First, he mourned. He moved through the process of grief. It's tempting when we face grief to allow the weight of those emotions to cripple us. To have difficulty moving forward and experiencing life again when when we have been devastated by some kind of difficult news. But we need to move through the process of mourning. We need to move through the process of grief and understand that grief is a journey that we can move through not something that has to keep us there, but something that we can move through. And that's a difficult process because we want to move through grief and and move through the stages of grief as if we're conquering one stage and moving on to the next. But grief represents an emotion. And so moving through grief is like navigating chaos. We move through the stages of grief and it's not in a linear fashion. Sometimes we move from one to another back to one we've already been through as we're navigating through grief. And it's a process that we have to continue moving through, have to continue working through people of Israel had a specific set of instructions that they used to move through grief. When a loved one passed away, they had a specific time of mourning, seven days, and they would wear sackcloth, they would put ashes on themselves, they would go through a very specific ritual of mourning to help move through their grief. And they used that same process of mourning when they received devastating news, when their circumstances were difficult, and they they recognized the sorrow associated with the things that they were facing. They moved through grief in that same way, and this is what Nehemiah did. He also fasted. Nehemiah chose to give up food for a certain amount of time so that he could focus on God and surrender his circumstances to the Lord. Now, fasting is a biblical discipline that we hear a great deal about in Scripture that helps us to focus on God in very specific ways. One, it is a process of finding more time to connect with God when we eliminate the the time that we would use to prepare food and to consume food. And we use all of that time instead of focused on food, we, we focus on the Lord. Fasting also is a specific purposeful dependence on God. And we choose to take something that is a basic human need and set it aside and instead, to depend on God and invite God to sustain us through that time of fasting. And as we do that, it helps us build the habit of turning to God reflexively and depend on, to depend on Him. Typically, if you're like me, your dependence on God varies. And, and when you experience difficulty, maybe like me, you have a habit of trying to accomplish, trying to overcome, trying to conquer that difficulty yourself. And then when things are too difficult for you personally, then you turn to God and invite his help and seek his guidance. What fasting does is it reminds us to turn to God first, to turn to God continually, to depend on him in everything that we face in life as a reflexive reaction to the circumstances that we find ourselves in, that we would continually surrender those circumstances to God and depend on him. So that when difficulty comes, we're already thinking according to God's perspective, recognizing God's presence, and leaning on his power to support us through the things we face. The third thing that fasting does for us is that it continually reminds us to pray. And fasting allows us to use physical feelings to point us towards spiritual practice. So when you're fasting and you're giving up food, you experience hunger. The first way you experience hunger is with a dull ache. When, when this part of your body is empty, there's this constant dull ache that reminds you to fill that space back up with food. And every time that, that you you remember that dull ache is a reminder that you're fasting and, and a reminder to you to focus on God and pray. There are also moments when you're hungry where you experience hunger pangs, very, very intense momentary pains because of the emptiness that that's present. And when you experience those, typically that's a reminder to put food in your mouth and fill up that space. But when you're fasting, it's a reminder that no matter what else you're doing, to stop and to pray, to to again, talk to God about the thing that you're fasting over. And so we see this example from Nehemiah. It's morning, there's fasting, and there's prayer. Nehemiah prayed to the Lord. Prayer is is a discipline that opens our hearts and binds to God. It's the the place where we communicate with God, where we talk to him about our thoughts and our feelings and our plans, our our circumstances, our environment, the difficulties that we're facing, the joys that we're facing. We thank God for his presence and his provision in our life. We invite him to work in our lives. We seek his guidance. We ask for his help. Prayer is is the place where we listen for God's response. Where we praise him, and most importantly, where we submit to him and allow him room to work in us. And notice each of these practices is listed as a response that Nehemiah had. But not that he he mourned for a while and then fasted for a while and then prayed for a little bit longer. No. Scripture tells us that he mourned and fasted and prayed, that he he used these disciplines in conjunction with one another, amplifying his connection with the Lord, multiplying his focus and his dependence on the Lord. And that's what happens when we utilize spiritual disciplines in this way, when we surrender ourselves to God and submit our circumstances to him, that we find the means to focus intensely on him and and communicate to God how important it is for us to connect with him and remind ourselves how important it is for us to depend on God through the process. That's the example we have from Nehemiah. The way that we turn to God as we face difficulty and seek his perspective and guidance even in the most difficult of circumstances. We move on to verse 5 in Nehemiah chapter 1, and we, we then read the words of ne- Nehemiah's prayer. As he was mourning and fasting and praying, here is what he said to God. And in this prayer, now we're, we're going to shift a little bit in our theme from our response to grief and devastating news to the idea of what it is to think forward and to trust God's guidance and to invite God to lead us into the vision that we have for the future. Here's Nehemiah's prayer. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cut bare to the king. Now, Nehemiah was a man of faith, and his faith is made known to us through the content of his prayer, his his intimate knowledge of who God is and and his detailed knowledge of, of God's promises. Nehemiah's prayer teaches us a bit about prayer. Is an example for us, much in the same way that we learn about prayer from Jesus in the New Testament. Nehemiah's prayer contained praise of God. He spent time acknowledging the greatness of God. Nehemiah's prayer included confession of sin of his people, personally, and of his family. Nehemiah acknowledged to God the wrong that was present. Nehemiah acknowledged God's promises, how God had been providing for them. There's a bit of gratitude associated with that acknowledgement of how God had provided. And he, he invited God's help into the situation. He asked God to intervene on behalf of himself, on behalf of his people, to, to help him step forward as he made plans for how he would begin to work to resolve the, the difficulty that was facing them. And as Nehemiah prepared to step forward according to God's will, he acknowledged the the situation that he was in, why those difficulties were present, and how he planned to step forward personally to begin resolving those difficulties. And when we think about what it means for us to take hold of the vision that God has for us, to step forward in faith and, and respond to where God is leading us, it's important for us to accept the consequences of our actions that have led us to the place where we are, and to accept the responsibilities that lie ahead, recognizing that that we're going to have to take responsibility as we move forward and follow where God is leading. As we think about God's plan for our lives, we think about God's purpose, as we think about God's calling, and we plan for the future, and imagine what it is that God has for us. We have to begin that thought process by accepting the reality that we currently find ourselves in. And that means looking backward to the past and accepting the results of, the consequences of, both good and bad, the decisions we've made, the way we've treated people, our own actions, everything that has led us to the place where we are. Now, as people, we have a tendency to think about the future And we want to forget about the past. We want to begin from where we are and and start a a new chapter in our lives. Turn a a fresh page. Have a a fresh start. Without considering all the things that have brought us to the place where we are. And when we do that, we find ourselves running away from the difficulties of the past. Running away from the, the people that we've hurt. The relationships that we've broken. The things that we've done that have brought us to the place that we want to get away from. And we think maybe if we can just start a new job, or move to a different city, or attend a different church, or develop some new friendships, maybe all the difficulty of life that we've been experiencing, all the hardship that we've encountered, will suddenly be relieved that we can start a new page and have this fresh start that then looks so much different than it did before. But we can't begin to step forward without accepting the consequences of what was behind. If we, if we try to do that, if we try to step forward into a new chapter of life without resolving the conflict, without reconciling relationships, without restoring what we've damaged and broken, we will find ourselves in a new situation, encountering the same kinds of problems that we had before. Why? Because we're the same person in a new environment. Because we haven't grown through the process of letting God develop maturity in us. We haven't grown through the process of letting God build us and our relationships, helping us learn not to harm people and damage them in the way that we have before because we haven't dealt with our own negative habits that have produced difficulty in our lives. We simply be moving into a new place, treating people the same way, acting with the same negative behaviors and patterns in our life, and creating the same difficulty in a new environment. Before we can move forward, before we can honor God with the vision that we're stepping into, we first need to allow Him to work in our lives to help us grow, to help us develop maturity, to help us develop wisdom in the way that we interact with other people and the way that we live our lives. So that means not only letting go of some negative and destructive habits, but also developing positive, constructive habits, allowing God to lead us into the kind of life that he's calling us to, molding us and shaping us according to his image so that we can step forward into the life that he's calling us to. Now, this is important for each of us as we stand at the brink of a new year. And many of us think about New Year's resolutions, about the kind of person that we want to become in the new year. And we think about health, we think about finance, we think about relationships, and we think about how we want to be a better person. As we think about what the future holds for us, let me suggest that first we step back and consider the past. All of the things that we've said and done, the decisions that we've made that have brought us to the place where we are. And before we think about all the things that we're going to accomplish, all the great things that are headed our way, first, let's think about the kind of growth and maturity that will come as we resolve the difficulty that we have experienced up to this point before we step forward. So that as we're stepping forward into the vision that we have for the future, we can step beyond where we would have been limited if we had not resolved those things. We need to have an accurate view of the past an accurate view of the reality of the present if we're going to have a genuine look at where we're going to follow God in the future. It's important for us as individuals. It's also very important for us collectively as a church to look back in the past and see where we have come from, to recognize the reality of the situation that we're in so that as we step forward and follow where God is leading us, we can do so faithfully, truthfully, growing closer to the Lord as we seek to serve Him as we seek to be faithful to him, as we seek to recognize his will for our lives and the purpose that he has in store for us. And so as we think about what God has in store for us as a church, let's think about why we're here, why we are in the place that we are, the things that have happened in the last year as we think forward to the next year or couple of years and what God has in store for us together as a body of believers. Now, one of the things that has defined us recently is the the addition of, online streaming for our services on Sundays. It's been a blessing for us as we move through pandemic, and it is continually a blessing for those who who need to quarantine and be home and worship with us. And it's changed the face of our congregation a little bit. We have people who are worshiping with us at home, online, because they have some health concerns. And we we miss seeing their faces here, but we're glad to know that we can still worship together. We have people who are at home worshiping because they're caring for some loved ones with health concerns and they don't want to interact in that way. And we're glad to have them part of our worship service, but it's different because we don't get to see their faces every week and the encouragement that comes with that. But we're still glad to continue worshiping together with the same service. There are people who. We don't see here week to week because they are no longer with us. And there have been uh, a few funerals that we've had over the past couple of years. People who have, have passed away are long-time faithful members of the church. And we, we recognize their absence when we gather to worship together. We miss them dearly. There are other people who have been a long-time part of our congregation who have taken jobs and moved away. And we we miss them. We're, we're sad to see them go. There are others who have decided to attend another church. And we're sad to see them go as well. We also have had a a lot of new families who have come to Parkview, who have been attending regularly, and they now call this their home. And we're glad to see the way God is working in the lives of people and the changes that are taking place in our congregation. These are the decisions that we've made, the, the things that have led us to the place where we are. There have been decisions that have been made here at the church in the last year. We've had nine people accept Christ as Lord and Savior be baptized in His name just in the last year. We've had seven other people place their membership here at Parkview. We continue to have conversations with people who are making decisions for the Lord, who accepting, want to accept Christ be baptized, who want to place membership here at the church. And those decisions continue to be made. And we're glad to see the way God is working in the lives of people about decisions that are continually being made for his kingdom and the relationship with him. We've been working on a building project here at the church. And for years, we've been raising funds to build a youth building on our property that will expand our capacity for ministry, that will address uh, the way in which we minister to teenagers. And we're very excited that while we've been raising funds for a long time, we have been talking to contractors and, and architects, and we are now talking about breaking ground and completing construction. And it's a current reality because of the history of work that we have been doing that's led us to this point. We're very excited about moving forward with this project. We think about decisions that we've made in the past about the mission of the church here at Parkview. And our mission statement remains the same. We're committed to connecting people with Christ, helping them grow in relationship to him, helping them grow in their understanding of his word, connecting people to other Christians and Bible studies and fellowship and mentoring and discipleship and growing together in our understanding of God's word and our relationship with him. We're committed to connecting people to the community as we reach out with the love of Jesus Christ and care for others and carry with us the message of the grace and love of Jesus Christ. That is the mission of our church, and it remains the mission of our church. And we are who we are because that mission has led us and guided us in the way that we worship together. And we have a vision for our church as we move forward into the next year, a future vision that will align us with God's purpose for us as a congregation. And we cannot... Grow into that vision without accepting the results and consequences of our past, of our planning, of our programs, of our decisions, and of our people. We can't grow into that vision without recognizing the responsibility that lies in front of us as a congregation to take hold of the calling that God has for us. We look forward and think about where God is leading us as a church. We see opportunity. We see opportunity to be the loving, caring, welcoming congregation that we are, to continue expressing that heart for people as they come through our doors, that they would find a place where we are glad to see them and we want them to be a part of the family here at Parkview. We have opportunity for growth in terms of numbers and attendance, in terms of faithfulness to God, in terms of our understanding of his word and our own personal relationship with him. Each of us has room to grow and we are committed to helping people grow closer to the Lord. We have opportunity to serve opportunities to serve here at the church on Sunday mornings throughout the week as we have Bible studies and events and programs that go on. We have opportunities to serve our community and go beyond the walls of the congregation to express the love of God in the world around us. We have opportunities for evangelism, for connecting people with Christ and communicating the gospel message of truth. And our missions team takes 15% of our general offering to support missionaries locally, regionally, and around the world. And we're glad We've been blessed financially over the last couple of years and we're glad to to support the kingdom of God, not just here at Parkview, but throughout the world in the proclamation of the message of the love and grace of Jesus Christ. We have opportunity to care for our community, to recognize needs that are present in the world around us and to meet those needs with the love of Christ expressed through our actions, to meet those needs with the message of Christ through our words, we see great opportunity to engage our community and care for people. So many opportunities that we look forward to and the vision of the future God has for Parkview. We recognize the responsibility that we have to rebuild, to rebuild the momentum that's present in this church, the excitement and joy of worshiping together. The fellowship that comes as we serve alongside one another, the growth that comes as we study the word of God together. And we think about all the responsibility that lies before us as a church as we begin developing the heart of who we are, a heart that permeates every program, a heart that permeates every service, that every interaction between people, this, this heart that exists here at Parkview that defines us and leads us and guides us toward the Lord. This, this heart includes the values that we have as a church. And we're committed to the word of God, that we will always and continually hold high God's word, that our lessons and sermons will be based on scripture and the application of that scripture to help us grow closer to the Lord, that we thrive on authentic worship. One of the wonderful things about this church is the the excellence and genuineness of of the the music that we have as we lift our voices together in worship of the Lord. One of the values we have is we care about families, And we desire to continually be a place where parents can grow and where parents can feel comfortable sending their their kids into our children's ministry, our youth ministry, to, to learn about their relationship with the Lord and grow in their personal relationship with the Lord. As we minister to families together, we are committed to being a place where they're welcome, where they recognize opportunity for growth. We value the pursuit of discipleship and mentoring and personal growth. And we see that as a a spiritual leadership challenge to help every person grow in their relationship with the Lord. We're committed to the care and evangelism that's necessary in the world around us, finding opportunities to leave this place, to go out into our community and continually care for people for the sake of Christ. And we recognize the limit of what God will do through Parkview is measured by our willingness to surrender to him and devote ourselves to faithful obedience and loving kindness. And we look forward to the vision God has for us as a church, and we recognize that the responsibility that lies with each of us to step forward, knowing that it will require some time, our energy. It will require for us to make a commitment to be present so that we can serve the Lord and serve his kingdom. And we recognize that it's, it's a step of faith. And if we're going to step forward into the vision that God has for us, if we're going to grow together as a church, we have to be willing to step forward in faith. This is the example we have from Nehemiah. As he concluded his prayer to the Lord, he asked for God's help to go before the king and present the plight of his people in the presence of the king, not knowing what, how the king would respond, not knowing what the result would be. He surrendered that to the Lord and asked God to be with him as he went before Artaxerxes. And it's an important part of our faith that we would recognize the things that are out of our control. And instead of trying desperately to control them, that we would surrender them to God and prayerfully allow God room to prove himself in our lives. That as we surrender to him, we would see how faithful he is. That we would see where he is leading us and guiding us and see what his plan is for our lives. And this morning, I want to invite you. To think about where God is calling you to step forward in faith. In terms of your own personal relationship with the Lord. And also in terms of your participation in the body of believers here at Parkview. Of how we together can step forward into God's vision for us for the future. Now for each of us, that's going to look a little different for you. Maybe, maybe the first step is, is to accept Christ as Lord and Savior and be baptized in his name. Maybe for you, you've been attending for a while and, and you see uh, uh, the next step for you is to begin serving and finding a place where you can use your talents and abilities for the Lord and for his kingdom. I wanna encourage you to, to step forward into the uh, the unknown, step forward into a place maybe where you've never gone before, to go beyond your comfort zone and see where God can use the abilities that he's given you, where where God can call you to fulfill the potential that he's placed in your life and begin serving him here at his church. Maybe God is calling you to, to begin talking to people about your faith. That's a, that's a scary step to begin thinking about the relationships that you have as an opportunity to communicate the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Now, you've been here at church, you've been serving, but if you would think about the people that you work next to and the people that you encounter in the community, not many of them probably know that you're even a Christian or that you attend Parkview. And maybe your next step of faith is to begin talking about the relationship you have with God, inviting other people to come to church with you, inviting other people to experience the Lord in the same way that you have. Maybe your next step of faith is to be a part of a connect group. That you've been a little reluctant, been a little hesitant to open up and and be a part of a community with other believers and and grow together in your study of God's word and fellowship as you share meals and share stories and share life with other people. But the next step for you in in growing in the Lord is to to tear down the walls that you've built up, to, to be vulnerable with other people, to allow them in, so that God can build you through the relationships with other Christians that that are present and ready to help you grow. And maybe your next step of faith is to to be a part of a connect group and see what God will do in your life as you connect with other believers. Maybe there's an idea that God is planning in your mind about service, about about a a way that you can engage other people here at Parkview to go with you into the community. And God has laid this on your heart as as a, as an opportunity to care for people, to, to to carry with you as you are caring for them, the message of the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And you have this idea that you think would be incredible way for you to care for the community. I wanna challenge you to, to begin thinking about how you can accomplish that, about how you can invite people along, about how you can talk to leadership here at the church and see about how we can partner together in reaching out beyond the walls of our church, and care for the people of the community. God is calling you specifically to take a step forward in your faith. And I want to challenge you personally this morning to think about what that next step is in your life, to think about how this year will be a year of accomplishment for you as you step forward. And that together, as we all worship God in the same way, in the same place, as we begin thinking forward about where God is calling us, that we as a church would step into God's purpose for us and that we would surrender ourselves wholeheartedly to his will and to his way.